the test of discipleship. Now, how many of us like tests? I'm not sure that anybody really likes tests, right? We've probably taken hundreds of tests, some big and some small. Probably most of us get a little bit nervous when we take a test. Did we study enough? Did we study the right things? And how is this test going to affect us in the long run? I remember some years ago, uh, one of the brothers in the church, he was a doctor, and apparently, I don't know how it all works, but apparently you have to take a test, or he did at least every 10 years. And he had waited until like the very last moment because he had had other stuff going on. And he was taking lots of time off to study. He'd been practicing medicine for, I don't know, a long time. But still just the uh, the thought of having to take a big test when you haven't studied in medical school for quite a while and it totally affecting your everything you do was nerve-wracking. He passed it. It was fine. But why do we have to take tests anyway? Okay, it's a measure of learning. Are you thankful that if a doctor is going to operate on you, that you know that he has at least had to go through some level of schooling and take some test and have a pretty good idea what he's going to cut and things like that? Is that a good thing? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Now, 150 years ago, it wasn't necessarily that way. What about driving? Are you glad that most people that are on the road have at least had to take a test to identify what a stop sign is and things like that? Tests can be beneficial, can't they? Tests also reveal our experience. Because tests, not only are they uh, an assessment of what we have learned, but they're an indication of the preparation for bigger tests that might be coming. If you're taking a class in school and you have a midterm test and you don't do very well on that midterm test, that's a pretty good indication that maybe you haven't been studying or listening as much as you need to, and you might need to ramp up your game some for that final test, right? So tests can reveal where we are in the learning and application experience as well. They can be a self-assessment tool. But the test of discipleship? Is there a test for discipleship? And if so, why would there be a test for discipleship? Well, I believe that Jesus does indicate and give us what we could look at are some of the overarching tests of discipleship, a test of whether we're following him or not. 
But I would suggest the primary reason for the test of discipleship are so that we can get a glimpse into our heart condition with him. Let's go to John chapter 13, verse 35 to begin with. Jesus makes a statement here. John chapter 13 and verse 35. The test of discipleship, we can be thankful for this, is not a knowledge examination of how much you know. Last week, Carice and Serena were at the Pathfinder Bible Experience. And they had 90 questions to answer from Hebrews, James, and First and Second Peter. And as I sat and listened and I was answering them along, not giving them any answers because I was back behind just answering in my head, there were tricky questions or questions that I just flat out did not know. We can be thankful that the test of discipleship is not a test of finding, do you know this verse in the book of Obadiah, chapter verse 7, or something like that. That would be a challenging test, wouldn't it? Because we have something like a 1,100 plus chapters in here, and I'm not sure how many verses that comes up to, but it's a lot. But there is a test of our experience here. Let's read it, John chapter 13, verse 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love, for one another. Jesus says, this is how people are going to know that you are my disciples. Is this a test of discipleship? It is, isn't it? It's a revelation, it's a manifestation of whether we are disciples or not. And Jesus says, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. God is what? Love. God is love. And so a disciple is someone that's following Jesus, that's walking with Jesus. If we are following Jesus, if we're walking with Jesus, then we're going to be influenced by him, and God is love, and so that influence is going to be love manifest in our lives. If we say that we're following Jesus, yet we're not loving and manifesting love, it's an indication to us 
that there's something amiss in our relationship. John comes back to this in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and there's multiple verses in this, but let's read verses chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. We see it in chapter 3 as well. He mentions the same ideas here. But John, 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, what does it say? He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. A revelation, a manifestation of our relationship with God, right? If we say that we love God, but we hate our brother, something's wrong, isn't it? And then John, and I I like how he says it. If you don't even love somebody that you do see, how can you love somebody that you haven't seen? Love. Now, there are probably people that we find easy to love. Maybe family members, maybe friends. But the real test of love is not when we find it easy to love someone, right? What is the real test of love? When they're obnoxious. Jesus says, Matthew 5:44, love your enemies. Love your neighbor too, and the Bible does say that. But it also says, love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. And then the next verse he says, if you only love your friends, if you only greet those that you know, isn't that what everybody does? Even the publicans do that. He says, love your enemies. Now, I imagine that we don't have Too many enemies, right? I hope. Maybe we should modernize it a little bit more and say we should love those that annoy us and irritate us. We should love those that see things totally different than us and we can't understand why they see them totally different than us. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. 
You know, somebody reviles you, somebody says a whole string of unpleasant things to us, is our first response to say, blessings to you too. We might, but we'd probably be saying it facetiously if we said it like that. If somebody curses us, the last thing we want to do is say, you know, they really are a good person and uh, I, want, I want them to be blessed. But that's what Jesus says. And he says, if this, if this isn't what we're doing, you're doing the same. It's just like what the publicans and the tax collectors and what everybody else is doing. A revelation that we are a manifestation that we are walking with Jesus, that we are his follower, is going to mean that his love is going to be displayed in our lives. Now, I know what we're talking about is not easy. I understand that. Because naturally, we're selfish. We're born into a sinful world, and the ultimate underlying foundation behind all sin is selfishness. And so naturally, with a sinful nature, we're selfish. But God is love. Jesus has demonstrated his love and a revelation, a manifestation that we're learning of Jesus is that his love is going to be flowing out of our lives. I'm not saying it always takes place overnight. I'm not saying it can't either, but I sometimes there's a battle and a struggle to learn to love as Jesus loves. But love is to become the motivating force behind our lives. Even loving the unlovable. And it's as we love, and that love is shown to others, that that love, Christ's love, transforms us. From this chapter in Steps to Christ, page 59, in the heart renewed by divine grace, love is the principle of action. It modifies the character, governs the impulses, controls the passions, subdues enmity, and ennobles the affections. Love is to become the principle of our action. Is there a difference, generally speaking, 
between someone that loves their job and someone that hates their job but goes there for the paycheck. Normally it's manifest in the way the work is done, right? I've seen some sayings. It says, I'm a teacher. Three reasons. June, July, and August. And then there's a teacher that's there Not because of June, July, and August, not because of the paycheck, but because he or she wants to make a difference in the lives of the kids that they are interacting with. Now, I'm, I mean, yeah, June, July, and August, that's a nice thing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But the who do you think is going to be the better teacher? The teacher that's there for June, July, and August, or the teacher that's there because they love the kids and love trying to help them? And in spiritual things, it's the same way that love needs to be the motivating force and factor in our lives. Because it's the motivating force in what Jesus has done for us and what he still continues to do. And Jesus says, by this all will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. There's another interesting verse in John chapter 15. Let's turn there. John chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. By this, so you will be. My disciples. Jesus' disciples are not only going to, and it's really the same thing, but they're not only going to love as Jesus loved, but what else does it say Jesus' disciples are going to do here? Bear fruit. If you plant a garden and harvest nothing from it, do you think it's a very productive garden? Are you going to keep gardening year in and year out with producing nothing at all? Probably not, right? Maybe some will persevere, and that's good. But he says, by this my Father is glorified. He's honored that you bear much fruit. So you'll be my disciples. Bearing fruit to God's glory is a manifestation that we are 
a disciple of Jesus, that we're following Jesus, because as we follow Jesus, it changes our lives. It changes our motives from selfishness to love, but it changes our actions as well, and we bear fruit... And the Bible talks about fruit that we bear. We call it the fruit of the Spirit, right? And that's not the only thing, but it's the primary thing, I think, that is indicated here. Now, it's important to get around our mind that the fruit that we bear, or the works that we do, does not save us, but it reveals the condition of our heart. Why do we need our works to reveal the condition of our heart? Because we don't know our own hearts. God knows our heart. He can read it like an open book, but we can't. And so it's kind of like that midterm test that reveals that we either have been studying good or we haven't been. And that we can say, wait a minute here. I'm wanting to follow Jesus, but maybe there's something in my life, maybe my connection with him needs to be stronger because it's not what it needs to be. And so we know that we cannot trust in our works because our works are as filthy rags, but it also doesn't mean that our works are meaningless. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, is what Paul says in Ephesians 2.10. But we are warned that we don't even know our own heart. And not only do we not know our own heart, but it's desperately wicked, deceitful above all things, according to Jeremiah 17.9. And then it just asks the open-ended question, Who can know it? And I would suggest the only answer to that is God. But he allows us to recognize the condition. Are we a disciple by what takes place on the outside? Have you ever gotten some things mixed up in a garden? Seeds spilled. Or my parents, my parents always plant a big garden. And they get seeds from a Mennonite store that's close to them. And I remember one time I was talking to my dad and he says the Mennonite store is referred to as Dutchman's. He says, well, Dutchman's did it again. They got the seeds and they planted them. And when they came up, it wasn't what they said they were getting. And they said, well, it's cheap enough. We can just replant. It's much better in other places. Uh, But sometimes you don't know what you're going to get until it starts coming up. And sometimes you don't even know what it is until it starts getting more mature and bearing fruit. Steps to Christ says obedience. Now notice this phrase in between there. The service and allegiance of love. 
Obedience has to be the servants and allegiance of love. It has to come from love. Is the true sign of discipleship. Why? Because it's fruit. But I want to ask what I believe is an even more important question now. How can we have this evidence of discipleship? The answer is found right here in John 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you you can do nothing. What does Jesus say here? Abide in me. Right? Abide in me and I in you. And he says, if you're abiding in me, what's going to take place? You're going to bear fruit. If you're not abiding in me, what's going to take place? You're not going to bear fruit, right? Jesus says, I'm the the vine, you are the branches. How much fruit can a branch bear of itself? It's firewood, right? It can't bear anything. How much fruit can a branch bear if it's connected to the vine? When, I was in, when we were in Portugal, I was amazed at how they had grapes growing everywhere up the house, over the porch, all everywhere you can imagine. And there would be these big vines that would be coming out. They were old vines. These vines coming out. And then, but it's interesting, the vine did not bear fruit. You did not pick grapes from the vine. There were branches that would come off the vine. And it was from the branches that the fruit was born. And it could be, there could be hundreds of clusters of grapes all over from this one vine. But if that vine got, if that branch got severed, the branch bore nothing. But if the branch was connected, It would bear. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Number one, we have to choose to be connected to him. Now, no analogy is perfect. And this is where the vine and the branch analogy doesn't quite... I've never heard of a branch that chose to be separated from the vine. But in the spiritual, we must choose to abide in the vine. But it's, if we're not abiding in the vine, we are 
We can't survive on our own. And then there's another component. Not only do we have to be grafted in, and by the way, when you graft something in, how much a part of it is that graft to the vine or the tree or whatever it is? It becomes like the same plant, doesn't it? It's grafted in. You might have multiple, multiple different plants. Normally when you do a graft, you just have two uh, that are being grafted together. But if somebody a, a really wants to have something interesting, they can graft into a tree and they can have 20 different apples growing on the same tree. They can even have pears and peaches and other things growing on the same tree by grafting different branches in. But it still is the same same thing, same plant. But every branch, in order for it to bear fruit, it has to receive nourishment from the vine. If it doesn't receive nourishment from the vine, even if it has a tenuous connection, it's probably not going to bear fruit, even if it's connected, because if it's too tenuous, if it's got a cut or the water and the nutrients aren't getting through to it, it's not going to bear fruit. And so, to be connected to the vine, we have to choose to be connected to him, and then we must receive the nourishment from him. Let's read verses 6 and 7. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, Notice what he says next. If you abide in me, and what else? And my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. How do we receive nourishment from the vine? Not only do we need to choose Jesus and to be connected to him, we must receive his nourishment from his word. A branch, same would happen with a finger or a arm or anything as well. If we have a part of our body that's not receiving nourishment from the rest of our body, as in adequate blood flow, what's going to happen? It's going to die. If a branch is not receiving adequate water and nutrients, it's not going to thrive. And the nutrients, the nourishment that we receive is the word that Jesus has. And generally speaking, the more nourishment you have, the more nourishment a plant has, the more fruit it's going to grow. Do we have a struggle to constantly be receiving nourishment from Jesus sometimes? 
Do we need to spend more time in his word? There are so many things that can hinder us from receiving nourishment from Jesus. Can we put all of our energies and all of our effort into work and can that hinder us from receiving nourishment from Jesus? What about our chores and daily activities? Can we get so busy doing the things that come to us that it chokes us, that we do not receive the nourishment we need to really grow and produce fruit? What about the other distractions that are in the world? It can be good, it can be bad, it doesn't matter if it's inhibiting the nourishment that we receive from Jesus, it's limiting the fruit that can grow in our lives. Maybe we need to turn off the TV and social media and the news and the radio and whatever else that distracts us. And maybe, you know, we have, we have lots of information all around us but we also have lots of things to help us grow spiritually. We can listen to the Bible when we're doing other things, can't we? We can listen to Steps to Christ. You know, when I was a boy, it would take me about three hours to mow my parents' lawn. And I found that I could listen. I got a... I didn't have... We didn't have iPods and phones and things like that then but I had a Walkman. And I had Steps to Christ on cassette tape, two cassettes, and I could listen to all of Steps to Christ when I mowed the lawn. About three hours. And we have even more opportunities to do things like that today than we did then. I have lots of spiritual books right now on my phone. Can listen while driving. And there's a plethora of good sermons that you can get right on your phone or computer or somewhere else that you can be receiving nourishment while you're doing other things as well. And the more spiritual nourishment we receive, the closer our connection with Jesus is going to be and the more fruit we're going to be able to bear for him. The problem is that we get distracted with all sorts of things in the world around us today. But Jesus says, abide in me. Abide. Let my word abide in you. When we are abiding in Jesus, when we are receiving his nourishment, we are going to bear fruit to his name's honor and glory. We are going, it's going to be evidence that we're disciples. There will be more love in our lives when we abide in him. 
James chapter 1, verse 21 talks about grafting and abiding. In the New King James, which I'm reading from, it says, Therefore lay aside, 121 of James, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The King James says, the engrafted word that's able to save your souls. We need the words of Jesus to be implanted, engrafted in us. And as his words are engrafted in us, as they're implanted in us, we're going to have a stronger connection with him. And it's able, he is able to save our souls. You know, when you look at a vine and you look at branches, there's the big vine. And then there are little branches. And then there are bigger branches. But both the little and the bigger branches both produce fruit. But there is a difference. Is it easier to break off the little branch or the big branch? Normally, those little ones are, have a lot more fragile connection. The more abiding in Jesus and allowing his word and his messages to us to abide in us, the bigger our connection becomes, the stronger our connection with him becomes, and the harder it is to get broken off. Not impossible in the spiritual realm or in the physical realm but the stronger the connection, the better it is. It's not our works, it's Jesus receiving the nourishment from him that then produces it in our lives. Notice what this chapter says. Our only ground of hope is in the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and in that wrought by his spirit working in and through us. It's Jesus Righteousness that forgives us and it's our abiding connection with him in which he works in and through us. The question, this might be one of the questions I have in the bulletin, I can't remember. By what means then shall we determine whose side we are on? Who has the heart? With whom? are our thoughts. Of whom do we love to converse? Who has our warmest affections and our best energies? This is a self-assessment test. How do we determine what side we're on? Where's our heart? Where are our thoughts? Where's our conversation? and our affections, and our energies. The next statement in here, still page 58, says, if we are Christ's, our thoughts are with him, 
and our sweetest thoughts are of him. All we have and are is consecrated to him. We long to bear his image, breathe his spirit, do his will, and please him in all things. Now, we might not, I don't want to discourage anybody because we might think, I'm not there, and that's okay. Remember a lady came one time uh, to church and she's like, three hours? I don't want to spend three hours in church. Whatever it was from Sabbath school and church. But as we ask God to give us a love for heavenly things, and the more we spend time with him, the more delightsome it becomes. There's, I'm going to skip some, but when we look here in John 15, it also mentions pruning. What is pruning? Not only dead, it's also what's healthy. When we, we had my parents... They moved, they moved on, we moved on to the land that they live on still today uh, when I was four, so a while ago. And uh, there was nothing there, but they've planted different fruit trees and pears and apples and peaches and cherries. They've got lots of different stuff. But one thing that was always hard to do was when, if you had, sometimes the frost would kill the, kill the fruit and uh, there'd be a hard freeze when there were buds or whatever. It happened not uncommonly. But sometimes it would be really good. And uh, the tree would be covered with apples. What do you need to do? You have to go, this is actually before, in the spring, it's covered with little apples. You have to go knock half or more of those apples off. And it seems like, why am I doing this? But if you don't do that, what's going to happen? <laughs> You're going to have apples that are about this big. <laughs> and so if you go knock a bunch of the apples off, you're going to get reasonable size apples. The other reason you prune, even if they're not dead branches, is because if a tree puts all of its energy into leaves and branches, you're going to get apples or whatever fruit that's small and not very much. And so pruning cuts off even what is good in order to produce more fruit. And abiding in Jesus, he's going to prune some things. He's going to cut off some things. He's going to do some things that maybe seem painful to us and we don't understand. It's a lot easier to let the wind blow the apples down than to have to go knock them down yourself. And it seems counterproductive. And sometimes things happen to us and the Lord asks us some things that seem counterproductive and it doesn't make sense, but God is in the pruning process that we can be stronger and bear more fruit for Him. I like this statement here in Steps to Christ, page 64. 
says we shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes. In this sinful world, she says often we'll make mistakes. Often we'll have to bow at his feet in tears. There's no excuse for it, but there are times that we get disconnected from the vine and we're not bearing fruit. We're not to get discouraged if we see that we're disconnected or if there's mistakes or there's problems in our lives. We are not to, that's what I just said, we are not to be discouraged. Even if we are overcome by the enemy, we are not cast off, not forsaken and rejected of God. No, Christ is at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us. The gardener's watching. And even if we're cut off from the vine, if we're willing, he wants to put us back in and allow him to connect us to him again. But it all comes through abiding in him. Nobody likes tests. I know that. But they're helpful to reveal to us where we are. When I was teaching, I promised my students a weekly pop quiz. And they would try to anticipate when it was going to be. Sometimes they were right. And I would hear, I would normally bring the pop quiz in and I would, it would generally it was a paper that was cut in half and so then they would write the, their answers on it. And many times they'd ask me, do you have any little papers today? And yet there was this collective groan when I would say, all right, take your pencils out or pens out, whatever. There's just this collective groan. Ugh. But I told them, look, the quizzes are not graded very, weighted very heavily. But all, most of my questions for the final exam come from these quizzes. Do you want to see them now in your quiz that you can study from for the final exam, or do you want to get them at the very end? And those didn't matter, even if they didn't do well on the quiz, if they studied the quizzes for the final exam, they were going to do fine. We don't like tests, but tests can help us to be prepared. And Jesus wants to abide with us for eternity. But to abide with him for eternity, we need to abide with him now. And he says, abide in me. Bear fruit. I want to abide in Jesus throughout the day, throughout each and every day, to grow in our connection with him that there may be more fruit in my life.
Do you want to abide in Jesus as well? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful that we can abide in you. And Lord, we pray that you will teach us and help us to abide in you as closely as the branch with the vine. May your words abide in us. And may fruit be revealed in our lives to reveal to the world around us that we are your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.